the client has needs and the brand wants to be seen a certain way. But for us to actually reach people, we have to speak the people language. And then as a creator in the same way, you know, brands will brief you and they'll say, I want you to create this Instagram post with all this language. And I'll say, well, that's not really authentic to me and my community. And it's not really going to resonate with them. If I speak that way, let's collaborate and find something else. And more often than not, I know we know there's difficult clients all the time. Clients are so eager to listen to that because at the end of the day, they want to reach people. And if we're telling them, here's how to actually speak to people, you'll find a better result. Welcome to Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Okay, what's up, everybody? We're back with season four of the Wave Social Podcast. This is going to be really nice. Mitzi, why don't you just set us up with who the guest is today? That is right. Nice indeed. We have Lisette Calviero, Latina entrepreneur, business coach, and content creator. In 2020, she was named a top 10 social media coach by Yahoo Finance. And in recent years, she even received a Shorty Award for a campaign where she ran influencer strategy. So big props to her. Her coaching content covers all things influencer business, creator economy, and creating a more connected community through values-led content. And yes, it can be done. And yes, you would get my shorty award because girl you're my shorty <laughs> wow we're going right into that hey yeah so for this episode we cover a lot of topics but the core of it comes down to what it means to be an influencer and of course the difference between followers and community because today that's an important one making an impact in the world and making the internet a better place which we all know it needs to be building a schedule that works for you around things like admin or planning shooting and editing, client meetings, all that good stuff. And for Lisette, she has a day for each thing. So that might not work for everybody, but you'll find out as you listen. Additionally, we talk about how to become an influencer in 2021. It's not too late. And how to protect your mental health and avoid creative burnout. Lots of good stuff. And in addition to that, we are so pumped because on Friday, August 13th, we are launching our merch for season four. I knew that was coming, honestly. And yeah, hey, we got tons of good stuff. We're going to share all about it right now. Should we share it now? Let's do it. Okay. I thought we were going to share it on episode two, but here we go. Okay. So we got a Nalgene bottle. That's right. What color is it? Uh, it's like brown. Yeah. It's, it's nice, like a cool brown. Yeah. Not a cold brown. <laughs> not a cold like a, brown. A steezy brown. Yeah. Like a trendy brown. Yeah. And with it, you get stickers. A whole sheet of stickers, custom design, some emojis, some good stuff. So you can personalize your Nalgene bottle. Yeah. And then we- So cute. We got some socks. They're not too warm because right now it's obviously still summer, but they're warm enough that it'll carry you into the winter. That's right. And we cannot forget the candle. The candles for season three were such a hit and we were such big fans. So it kind of set the bar for every other merge drop that we do from there and out. And so this one's really good. We really are happy with the scent. It's a summery, fresh, mm. you're going to feel like you're by fresh. the beach, sipping yes. a pina colada. We've got this acronym thing going with the candles now. 
This yeah. is the second one. Last time we did, we called it ROI, return on investment. This time, again, because it's summer, we called it OOO, that out of office that we all have been craving lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I think we should drop a discount code in this episode. She really is generous today, everybody. <laughs> okay. we're So we're doing a discount code for our listeners. Yeah, uh, I think what should be the fun. code be? I don't know. Should it be out of office? Yeah, we could. Or uh, we could call it heat waves. Yeah, or we, we could, could call it shorty award because you're my shorty. No, no, oh. no, no. We're not going to do that. I like out of office and I think that would be fun. It, it works with the vibe and the theme of the season. All right. You heard it here. Discount code out of office. <laughs> Head to wavesocialpodcast.com slash merch. You'll see the, all the goods. You can pick one. You can pick all of it. No matter what you pick, you get a discount. Hey, what's the discount? I don't know. <laughs> you tell okay. me. You're the one protecting our margins. <laughs> You're the one who's to balance all, the all budget. All hope is lost on protecting <laughs> margins. All right, let's let's be generous with our listeners. Let's just say twenty percent. Twenty five. <laughs> see what I mean, everybody. You can balance twenty five percent off for one week only. This is an early bird discount. Out of office. Get it or lose it. That's it. Sounds good. We're moving on. Have fun. Okay, read us a review, Mitzi. Okay, this review is from. GTC. This I looks like Gleek, Gleek Vagabonds <laughs> to me, but it's like GTC <laughs> Vagabonds, maybe. Yeah, that's Whoever impressive. you are, we appreciate you deeply. Yeah, it says, great interview. This episode talked about marketing some big brands, but I was still able to take away strategies that would increase my engagement as a freelancer. That's what we like. Absolutely. Yeah, we got the big brand stuff, but we also got it for everybody who's doing their own thing, their own projects, building something from the ground up, whatever it looks like. Yeah, and you know me, I'm all about practical. Yeah. So I like when there's practical takeaways. That's so I true. I love that. We've always got practical takeaways, and Lisette added some incredible value in that mm-hmm. sense here, too. So buckle up, get excited. It's going to be really fun. We can't wait to hear what you think. Lisette, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you on the Waves podcast show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Amazing. Well, we have so much to talk about in this episode, but we wanted to start from the beginning. Could you give us a little breakdown of your career journey? How did you start your career as an influencer marketing expert? Thanks for the question. So I always like to say there's two sides to my career, the LinkedIn version and the side hustle version, but they both intertwine. And I actually started in 2012 in the PR public relations agency space. So for those who aren't familiar, media, right? Media relations, working with journalists to get stories for the brands I was working with. And along the way, being the token millennial at my agencies, social media started to come into the picture. And a lot of my brands would say, well, you're young, you probably know social media, can you help us figure this out? So eventually, I became in the space that we called a hybrid. And And it was someone who did public relations, but also social media work. So that together kind of eventually evolved into what influencer marketing was, because when I was doing social media, having the experience of working with journalists, now the new, quote, influencers were social media influencers and people who had a really big audience on social, because we saw that a lot of people with a big following and a strong community actually made the same difference than, you know, getting your client on the cover of a magazine. So Mm -hmm. that was a really interesting shift in 
in the space. And from there, I started pretty much managing a lot of the influencer marketing campaigns at the agencies I was at. My last agency job was at Ogilvy as their director of influencer marketing. So really just focused on influencer marketing for almost a decade now. And then the side hustle side of the career was as a creator. And I actually started my blog in 2013 with no direction, no clue what I was doing, as we always do. And (laughs) I just decided that I would use the experiences as a creator to inform how I was working with creators in influencer marketing roles and vice versa, right? So I would work with brands as a creator and I kind of grew that side of my business. And both of them came together to kind of have a pretty 360 view of the influencer marketing space from the side of creator, from the side of the brand, which is where I am today. Wow. Lots of great stuff in there. We're really excited when we were reading your bio that you came from a a bit of an agency. You had an agency background. Mm -hmm. We're both in the agency world. So that's always exciting to us to meet someone else who's kind of been in the trenches in that way. What have you learned from your agency work that you now apply into your business as it exists now? 100% all the things I learned in client service. And I'm sure you all can relate when Mm -hmm. you're working in an agency, you're not just a creative sometimes or a strategist. You're also someone who's serving clients and you have to kind of read people. You have to understand what do they mean when they're giving me this feedback and all those ins and outs of managing the client from the agency perspective is what I think really helped me in just everything else I was doing and in the business I've built today, which is really just understanding the humanity behind social media and whether you're a brand using it in the best ways, whether you're a creator using it in the best ways. But a lot of that came from my experiences in what we call client service in the agency side. And I would say the agencies I've worked at, Ogilvy, Havas, they all have, they're multidisciplinary, right? So they have social media departments, they have advertising departments, they have the creative department. And being able to work with people from different teams at any given time was a really valuable skill set that I took into building my business. And not just in the literal sense of kind of being a jack of all trades, but just knowing how to work with different people at different agency functions. Man, that's so interesting. I think I want to chase that rabbit trail a little bit further. One, because I'm super interested in Ogilvy. We have tons of admiration for the work that they put out, but more specifically to your comments around client services. You know, you're not just a creator, you're also serving the client, having to pick up on some nuances in that relationship. Can you talk a little bit more, even like break out a couple learnings that you took away specifically in that space of client services and reading and understanding people and their true like motivations or agendas. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. For sure. I think something that's very interesting is that us as marketers, whether you're on the agency side putting together something, or you're a creator, an influencer, and you're working with brands as a marketer, you have to realize that a lot of times 
the client may not exactly know what's best for the mm. ideal reader, right? So mm -hmm. your community or the clients we're trying to reach, right? So in PR and public relations, a client would say, well, we want to be the best known XYZ brand in this space. And we're thinking, well, Refinery29 right now is trending on this topic. So how can we make your story work with that? And just really <laughs> understanding the client has needs and the brand wants to be seen a certain way. But for us to actually reach people, we have to speak the people language. And then as a creator in the same way, you know, brands will brief you and they'll say, I want you to create this Instagram post with all this language. And I'll say, well, that's not really authentic to me and my community. And it's not really going to resonate with them. If I speak that way, let's collaborate and find something else. And more often than not, I know we know there's difficult clients all the time. Clients are so eager to listen to that because at the end of the day, they want to reach people. And if we're telling them, here's how to actually speak to people, you'll find a better result. That's so good. Mm -hmm. Before we move on to other stuff, I don't want to just neglect the fact that you won a Shorty Award. Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? <laughs> oh my gosh, so exciting because only agency people know what Shorty Awards are. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Big respect. Thank you. So one of the campaigns that I did, and of course, impact and doing social media for good is very important to me, was a campaign in collaboration with others in Havas called the Kindness Card. And it was a New York experiment where we basically had $10 gift cards that you would pass on when someone did a random act of kindness. And for this to pick up, of course, a lot of social was involved and a lot of influencer work was involved. So I led the entire influencer branch of this campaign, which won a Shorty Award for Best Mobile Campaign. So the collaboration between the social team and myself, and it was so rewarding because it was a campaign that wasn't just about a product. And of course, we work with products all the time. So not to say that's a bad thing, but it's always so rewarding when it's the passion project that gets the mm. award. And I think that that's what was really fun for me. And it was fun to also just be a part of that. I now sit in the Shorty Awards judging committee. So still in the Shorty Awards space, I really just love the creative work that comes out of all the people who are part of it. Nice. Well, hopefully you'll see us there sometime. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Put it out there. Why not? Hey, I just want to touch on though quickly, you mentioned like to make that campaign happen it really took so much of a like of a lift and intentional strategy with social and influencers. And I think I can start to picture what that might have looked like. But for our listeners, it would be awesome if you could just give us a little more practical perspective of like what that really looked like to run that campaign. Oh, for sure. And I think what was interesting is that this is a campaign when you're working with something that's quote, social good, or really not attached to any brand, because even the people behind that were funding the cards were just private investors who wanted to do good in New York City. It was that simple. So we didn't really have the anchor of a brand doing this. It wasn't like this huge company was running this. And the challenge in that is you really have to focus on word of mouth. But word of mouth marketing, as we probably all agree is the hardest because mm -hmm. it's hard to guarantee. So we had to use people who were specialists in the user experience on mobile. So really saying, okay, if someone gives you this random card, that's like, here's an act of kindness. Thank you so much. $10. They're going to say, well, what the heck? So you had to really figure out for someone to adopt the idea and be part of the movement, they actually had to have a good user experience. So we had a lot of UX people really involved in the bringing this to actual life. And then we had the social team, right? Having to put together social ad and social spend behind all this work. Because again, we wanted to make word of mouth happen faster than it could in the very literal sense, people just talking to each other about it. 
We also had the PR team working with local news media. So what's interesting here is I think a lot of times we think if I'm in Forbes, I have made it, but we knew our market. And if this was going to be a New York City movement, we wanted to talk to the PIX11, right? The local news stations, because those were the ones that were going to make a difference for us. So that helped. And then finally, of course, with influencer, we spent over $100,000 on just influencer spend, meaning paying a ton of creators to really get involved. And it was a mixture of, we had three hero creators. So for those listening, you know, those people who are the three people in the video and all the advertising. And then we had a huge group of micro influencers who had anywhere from 10 to 50,000 followers on any social platform to also support with almost like a groundswell of activity. Because again, it's not just about having all the numbers. We wanted people who had strong communities that could actually move this forward. And it definitely helped. We reached a lot of our goals in terms of people using and being part of this program and then won the Shorty Award. So that's great. (laughs) Love it. It sounds like such a, like, as you explain it, you're like, yeah, we simply did this, this, and this. But I know the amount of effort and creative and teams involved is a huge feat. So congrats to you on on being a part of that. That sounds awesome. Thank you. I love that your bio says that you're a Latina CEO. And as a fellow Latina myself, I get so excited when people are proud of where they come from and their heritage. I want to talk about how has your upbringing influenced you and how you run your business? Oh, wow. So my favorite thing to say, and what's interesting is that I didn't really own the Latina label for a long time because I thought, oh, just Latina, you know, it's just part of who I am. (laughs) But I, in a lot of self-reflection and a lot of work also with like mindset coaches and doing a lot of structured self-work, I realized, whoa, me being a daughter of immigrants, me being Latina actually influences my day-to-day in more ways than I believe, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that I only cater to a Latinx or Latina community, but it's little elements like being a daughter of immigrants for a long time, labor and work is the definition of success, right? So you have to like do things to be successful versus when I was building my business, I realized if I'm not working nine to five, I must not be successful. And that's not the case, right? Like so many businesses are different and so many people's ways of working are different. But I had to let go of that narrative that labor and work equals success. And on the flip side, it made me a hard worker and it made me want to see a vision bigger than, you know, I always like to say, I have to think bigger than where I am today. As cliche Mm -hmm. as that sounds, that's how my parents thought. They came to this country with no friends, no help. My mother barely made it in the beginning. And eventually, you know, they made a beautiful, comfortable life for themselves, but they kind of came in risking it all. And that made me in turn realize sometimes you do have to take those risks. Sometimes you have to just really trust that the vision will come to life and you'll figure it out along the way. Kind of the essence of start before you're ready. That's what my parents really did all their lives. And that's something that I take into business every single day. And I try to embody in the work that I do. It's beautiful. I love it. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit more about influencers. Yeah. Because obviously that's a big part of your experience and your expertise. Could you define for us from your perspective what an influencer is? Obviously, many of us have a perception of that, but we'd like to hear from you knowing that you're a specialist. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? 
How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Yeah. For me, an influencer or a person of influence is someone who has the ability to shape and shift behavior, whether it's shaping the way someone's thinking, shaping their purchasing behavior, etc. And I think what we fail to really distinguish is that you don't have to have a perfect social media platform or a ton of followers to have influence. Anyone can have influence if they really have defined a community right around these subjects. Yes. And I wanted to ask you actually, can you dig into what is the difference between having a community and having followers? Like I love how you community feels like a big theme of what you talk about on your social media platform. And I don't know if like everyone really understands the difference. Mm. And I don't know if everyone's trying to actively build a community. I think lots of people are trying to get followers. Could you break down like what's the difference and what are the benefits of having a community as opposed to just having followers? Yeah. And I agree with that. A lot of people think followers and not just because they want to quote be famous, but they just measure those numbers with success mm-hmm. because that's what we're used to. It's it's kind of the new revenue. It's followers. But the reality is that what really drives revenue is that community and not just for the money or monetary aspects, but that connection that we're looking for on social media, that loyalty we're looking for in the people. And the difference for me is followers are just people who are consuming content, right? They either landed on your page at some point, especially social media. You don't even know how accurate that number is. There could be bots that have flown in from time to time. So followers, is just kind of a measurement, I would say, of like the health of your activity on social media. Mm -hmm. If it's declining, we should evaluate that. If it's growing, something's working. But community is really the group of people who you have influence over and the group of people who know you, who like you and who trust you or are building toward that. And they're not just a number. They're not just someone who's following you and consuming your content, but they actively are interested in your ideas. That's why I said it's not just about revenue. They don't have to be the people who are investing in your business, but they're the people who save your work, the people who feel like they know you, even though they don't really know you. And I think that looking for a community is way more important because, again, it actually will help your business in the long run, but it also makes the experience on social a better experience because you feel connected. You start to remember that person who always shows up as one of your first likes, that person who writes back to your stories via DM. Those people become memorable and the experience is less about numbers and more about the humans behind the accounts that are following you. Mm, That's so good. How can you measure community? Like when it comes to like seeing your follower account, like of course that's measurable. You see it on your account for everyone to see really. But how do you like measure your community and who are those like people that really feel like they know you and trust you and are influenced by you? That's a great question. I'd say from a tactical perspective, knowing your engagement rate and the way people are interacting with your socials, that's a good kind of very 
structured signal of how strong mm-hmm. your community is. Because if someone is in community, they're going to want to talk to you. They're going to want to like your stuff, comment on your stuff, share your work. So keeping track of that will help you. But I'd say beyond the numbers and really just thinking about the amount of people who are having conversation with you and seeing if that's growing over time, seeing how that's shaping over time, that's a good signal to kind of the health of your community. You get to see the conversations people are having with you. And I would say also from a numbers perspective, sharing your content is kind of the gold mine because that says someone didn't just engage with it or think it was cool. They thought it was so cool. They shared it with a bunch of people. That's a really yeah. good way for you to see if your community is strong or not. That's great. Yeah, I totally agree. One question I had just in following some of the comments that you just made about community specifically was like you mentioned how to recognize or the importance of recognizing that these people are humans and there's more value to them than just a purchase or conversion of some kind. But what are ways that practically we or anyone listening can kind of show that value back to their followers or community, like show that they see them as more than that? Yeah. Well, something that I recommend, I have this three engagement builders in 30 minutes, but it's really a practice in reminding your community that you're there Mm -hmm. because oftentimes we provide value. We're showing up on social. People are commenting. You comment back. That's great. But also actually checking out your community's profiles is very important. Going in and seeing the people who are liking your content. Could you go check out a handful of people every day? That is an important practice in bringing the conversation back to them, right? If they comment and they say, oh my God, this tip was so valuable. Thank you for sharing it. Why not saying, tag me the next time you use it. I really want to see. And actually following up, right? I started in the beginning saying, this is a people business. You have to remember the people behind all of this. And the best way to do it is to make that conversation a two-way street. Mm -hmm. I've seen you do kind of that on your lives too. Like I've seen you on your lives, like if people have questions, you're able to answer them on the lives, which I also feel like is a great way to show value back to the community because lots of people will likely tune in the live hoping you'll talk about a certain topic. And then the fact that you like call them by name and like answer the question or even like, I don't know, sometimes it's like really deep and sometimes it's just like playful and fun. So I feel like that's a a great way that I've seen you do that. Yeah. And I actually love live because I think as a business owner of any kind, or even just a content creator, it's a way for people to get both. They get the value, but they also get the real you, whether Mm -hmm. it's goofy, whether you're a space holder, whatever vibe you bring, they get to see that in action. So that is the most raw you can get. Absolutely. We need to do more lives. I know. I'm too scared. I actually have a question in here too about like asking you about any tips because it I don't know. I'm just not always like camera ready. And I feel like I have to get in like the mindset. And I also feel like it's boring. Like, I don't know why would anyone watch my live. Yeah, we're going to need to do a therapy session. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we got to unblock something there. But I'll say the very number one thing to do if you're scared of lives is actually go live with someone else as a first thing. So now that we have the ability to do Instagram live rooms and a lot of social platforms will let you do live with other people. If you can do that, it helps because even if you have zero viewers, you have another person there. And I think the zero viewers, which we all go through, is kind of scary. But what you really have to remember is that people are kind of coming in and out of lives all the time. So it's almost like you're hosting a dinner party. And it's a dinner party where people are rotating in and out. So you're still the host, 
you're still serving the food, the appetizer will come and then the dessert. So you're still giving everything in the order you would host a dinner party, but people are just kind of rotating in and out. So keep the party going and really try to envision as if you are speaking to one person. And I think like you said, I will even use people's names because that's how I'm already hosting that live. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, hey, Lisette, like, I really love that you're here. Thanks for asking that question. And even if Lisette wasn't there, I'm thinking about that ideal follower that I want to call in. And I'm speaking as if I was in that space. Those are great tips. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Lisette, earlier when we were talking about the, the Shorty Award and the kindness cards, you talked about or you briefly mentioned how impact is really important to you. And obviously, your business is called Influence with Impact. Could you maybe give us a little bit more context as to why that's important to you or where that started? Like, where did that come from? Yeah, it actually started because I got frustrated at the fact that we all thought the word influencer was very taboo. So when you said the word influencer, I think to this day, it still has a little bit of taboo, but it was even worse a few years ago. It's like, oh, these influencers. (laughs) And I wouldn't even use it. I would say, well, I'm a content creator. And then I realized, wait, what am I doing? Let's just take ownership back of influencer and let's actually influence with impact. And when I say for good, I'm not just talking about partnering with the United Nations. I'm saying, hey, me as a fashion blogger posting my outfit of the day, I'm making someone feel more confident to get up in the morning. I'm making someone who looks like me feel more represented. And just finding the nuances and finding the impact that you can make through all types of content. That's really where that started from. And I will say, I do have a very deep background in just impact-driven work. I'm someone who has worked in the nonprofit space in the past, living in Florida, even worked in policy. So it's part of my background and something that I'm personally comfortable about being in conversation around, but it's not always just about advocacy work. It's just about finding a strong why that's beyond yourself saying, I'm not just here to show and tell I'm showing a skincare routine because I want to remind people to find a little bit more self-love every day. I want to remind people that work-life balance is important. So that's why I'm doing this like really awesome 30 minute routine. And I always like to use the beauty and fashion bloggers as examples, because those are the people that come to me and say, I'm not doing anything good for this world. And I (laughs) challenge people to think like, well, what about that person who now knows how to wear that green jacket and feels bomb and confident because you showed her how to do that. And I think that it's, it's kind of, of course, like a high level way of thinking, because at the end of the day, you're just going through the motions of social media and posting your outfit of the day. But if you can contextualize this for people over time, and if we can find that intentionality behind what we're sharing on social media, I think that it becomes a better place. Influencers are actually doing quote good for the world. And It's great. Yeah. It makes everything more valuable that you're consuming. Exactly. I can see how influencers who are posting content for their own personal brand can do that. But how can like brands like capital B brands do that and make the internet a better place? I think it's also leading with intentionality, right? So if you are on social as a capital B brand, totally going to use that now. Or if you are working (laughs) with influencers and doing an influencer campaign, I think a lot of times brands say for me to do good, I have to have some huge lofty fundraiser type of campaign. And it's not Mm -hmm. just about that. It's again, like find the intentionality behind things. Is there a conversation you can move forward? I like to use this example. Recently, some of my clients were working with Clorox to do this campaign around like finding more color in your everyday life. And of course, Clorox is just a brand that will make your clothes cleaner when you're putting them in the laundry. But the campaign 
campaign wasn't about how amazing their laundry was. It was about how they're finding more color in their everyday life and finding more joy. And I think that intentionality was really nice. It's a breath of fresh air. You don't feel like you're selling to people. You're just having dialogue around a certain conversation. And I think if we do that more, things start to feel more, quote, authentic, because I think authenticity is a buzzword. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. if brands do that more, instead of just straightforward selling products all the time, have dialogue with people, that's going to make your social experience better. And you're going to contribute to a better social media. Yeah, that's great advice. I think that perspective is so interesting when it comes to brands. But I'm also curious about how that plays out for influencers. Because I think we see a lot more tangible examples with brands of some sort of social responsibility or even having a cause that connects Mm -hmm. to their brand or a give back of some kind. But at least from my point of view and the people that I follow, I don't see a lot of that tangible activity from influencers. Should we expect that from them? Or is there different ways that social responsibility or even like impact for good, like you've kind of explained it, can show itself through individual content creators? Yeah. I definitely think there's space for that and that should be done more. And to your point, I think when you think of social responsibility, you, your brain goes straight into social good, fundraisers, etc. And there is a lot to say, if you have a big community, you can probably mobilize people for activism work that is in alignment with your values. But I think what's missing is a lot of influencers are scared to kind of put a stake in the ground and stand for something because of just the social climate right now and division, etc. So what I would challenge influencers to do is ask yourself, what are my values? What are some topics or some areas that I actually am passionate about? If you're someone in the fashion space, what could you tell us about sustainability in fashion, slow fashion? Is that something you align with? Are you someone who has a different type of passion? For example, I actually do a lot of fundraiser work for Girls Inc. because I love empowering women. So that to me, connects with my values. So we just do that work of really figuring out where the connection is for us, we can incorporate that into what we're doing. And I think this is not just like a requirement that someone needs to have, but it's something that needs to feel more normal. If we have the ability to promote brands that people buy, why not promote causes that people can buy into that are in alignment with our values? That's so good. I'm really glad you answered that way because I think that just like opens something up in my head when it comes to Mm -hmm. not just like what can I do, but also what can we be advising influencers to do as an agency? Because I think like brands and influencers do a good job of creating awareness and conversation and brands and maybe some influencers do a pretty good job at raising funds. But what I really liked about what you said was the whole idea of mobilizing people Mm -hmm. to take action. And I think that's something that an individual creator or just even like an entrepreneur on social can do an even better job of than brands is actually like inspire their community that they've intentionally built to take action. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's great. I'm going to shift topics here a little bit to talk about reels. I love your reels. I think you make such great content on reels. I always learn so much from them. And I'm wondering if you can give us some advice on how to get more consistent with creating content, whether it's general social media content, but also real since I know it's such a hot priority for Instagram right now. 
Yeah. And you know what's crazy? I used to be the person that said, I'm never getting into video content because I hate editing and I hate looking at myself and I don't like it. And <laughs> here I am making reels for the majority of my time or short form video, really. Yeah. And what actually helped me to become more consistent, I'll actually start with the fact that reels are very intimidating for people, especially if they aren't into video, but it truly just took practice. And I always forget how many hours allegedly it takes to build a skill. It's something like put in 10,000 hours of work and you have a skill. And that actually is so true. Because if you look at my early, not just reels, because I came into reels with TikTok experience, right? So if you look at my early TikToks, they're so bad. And I, I look <laughs> at them and I laugh and I leave them up and I share them all the time just to remind people I had that lag when the video starts and then I start talking <laughs> and I'm like, duh, 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 duh. and it was bad, right? In air quotes, bad. And I just practiced. I kept doing them. I felt so much more creative. I'm sure we're going to talk about types of platforms to be on. But one of the reasons why I was on TikTok was just for the pure experimental purpose of learning how to do video. So if you can find a space where you can experiment, that's going to help you feel less intimidated and you're going to build that skill for consistency. Because to be consistent, you also have to find efficiencies in what you're doing. So it's hard to say, be consistent, post five reels a week when you don't feel comfortable making reels yet. So find a goal that's realistic to where your skill set is now. So if it's like, I'm going to do one reel every other week, next month, I'm going to do a reel every week until I find those efficiencies, until I find how to tape faster, how to get ready faster, how to batch content, right? So you'll do that. In a very practical sense, I do batch all my video work. And something that I do is I batch every step along the way separately. What I mean is, so you've got the ideation phase, right? We're all planning what we really want to do. I batch that. I book an hour of my time every few weeks and I'm just thinking of ideas. Maybe all of them will come to life, but I'm thinking. And then the second step is really filming that content. I don't even go into editing it. I just batch. I usually book about two to four hours to give myself room and space. I just film as much as I possibly can from these ideas I've already ironed out. I may also look at my saved content, but I'm really just like filming, filming, filming. Separate day, I come back and I edit and I batch edit. And the reason why I separate each step along the way is that I find myself to get burnt out if I have to do a video from start to finish. So imagine doing like four videos start to finish in a quote batching session. So I actually just batch all the steps along the way. And then what you're seeing me post is the result of like weeks of batching, but it's separate days. Hmm. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. You mentioned how you always said that you would never get into video because you you don't want to edit and all that <laughs> stuff. But then you said, you know, you're doing reels and TikToks and all this stuff. So obviously there was a process that happened somewhere in there where you decided, hey, this like video actually does make the most sense for me and I want to invest in it. Can you share some of that and even advise the people listening who are trying to identify what types of content or like you suggested, what platforms are best for them? Yeah. So I always like to think of platform strategy in this way. You always want to have, number one, your home base. And that's going to be a place that you're probably already used to. You're probably used to creating content there. It's where you're already finding the efficiencies to be consistent. So for me, that was Instagram for a long time. It was just the first platform I was on. Second platform you should be on is what I call the lead generator. So that is just a platform that's going to direct traffic to home base. 
for a while, my lead generator was actually my blog. I was getting leads from people Googling my blog posts. They would find me on Instagram. I did Pinterest for a little bit. Right now, I would say TikTok is actually that one leading people. But the third platform you want to be on, right, strategically is a platform to experiment. And that's important because as creators, you want to make sure that you're actually stretching those muscles of creating the same content you would be making, but in a different format. And that's what TikTok was for me for about a year in 2019. I said, okay, so if I follow my rule of three and my third experimental platform right now, it's going to be TikTok. I just made as much short form video as I could to then eventually build this new skill set. And I kind of happenstance now into video because I was experimenting. Same thing now is happening where Clubhouse was actually my experimental because I had never done audio before. I had never done live audio before. So I spent a lot of time on Clubhouse strategically, it being my experimental platform. And that actually made me really good at lives because I was put on the spot on Clubhouse enough where I actually felt comfortable in live. So this is kind of what I've done for years of just knowing home base somewhere that's leading people to home base, but then also the experimental platform. And that's how I really got into TikTok. And then the other kind of practical thing as well when it comes to video is I really do film all video pretending like I'm talking to one person on the other side of the lens. So I will even start a video just saying someone's name, right? So, hey, Justin, I'm going to tell you the three ways to, right? And just like doing that to practice that I'm speaking to one other person because that's actually how you translate better into video. It feels like you're not talking to a camera. You're talking to me. I'm binging this content. I'm scrolling, but you're talking to me and you've like sucked me into your soul right now. So that's really what you want to start practicing is like, I'm talking to one person. And again, if you're talking to one person, you want to have an interesting combo. You're not just going to say, hello, Justin, today I will in this essay, I will, <laughs> you're going to just have a combo. So do that a little more and it should help. Man, that is absolute gold. I'm like ready to go practice. Yeah. For anyone yeah. listening, y'all better go rewind 90 seconds and listen to that all over again. But in the meantime, the million dollar question, is TikTok still the best place to go viral? That is a great question. I actually believe that TikTok has the platform to go viral faster, but I would say YouTube is still kind of the best place to go viral because it's so searchable. And I think that yeah, virality is also like that shareability, that searching. So I still feel like YouTube has some skin in the game and TikTok by way of how the platform functions, right? Which is just like this bingeable short form video content. It only takes me 30 seconds to watch your video. That's why things go viral faster, but I would still invest a lot of time in video. And this is coming from someone who isn't on YouTube, but if you're someone who really likes video, I would say try YouTube still. Nice. I love that. That was not what I was expecting, but I'm into it. Yeah. Curveball. <laughs> so you've kind of walked us through your batch approach to filming and creating content. I'm curious, what does a typical work week look like for you? Oh, love this question. I remember in like <laughs> career days, people would tell you, well, no, one day is the same. And actually it's true. But nice. what I've actually learned, instead of having a typical work day, I actually have themes for every single day of my week. And that's based on my personal energy. So I know when I'm at highest energy and when I'm at lowest. So I've kind of structured my weeks in this way. I practice time blocking, which is something I've learned over time. And with time blocking, I'm basically ahead of my week knowing my Monday for this chunk of time is dedicated to XYZ type of work. Will I have the same to-dos that day? Probably not, but it's just that type of work has been kind of earmarked for that. 
So my Mondays are the administrative kind of corporate days, as I call them, because I actually find myself in like routine mode on Mondays. So I can actually mm-hmm. like get things done, send the invoices. So my Monday spent doing a lot of that stuff. My Tuesdays and Thursdays are my coaching days. And the reason for it is I find Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm at highest possible energy. And if I'm going to be coaching someone through something, really taking in their energy, I have to be at my highest. So that's why things happen on those days. Wednesday is my content creation day because I actually find on Wednesdays, I find myself at like mixed energy. And what I mean by that is I may wake up and be like, I got to sleep in today. I'm just not feeling great. Maybe my Tuesday was overwhelming. So I need Wednesday to recharge. Or maybe I wake up and all of a sudden I've got a million ideas. But the thing about content creation is I can't really control when the good ideas come and go, which is why on Wednesdays I do that. So I give myself space. It's what I call like space day. And then Friday is just really like the catch-all. So just picking up slack on the things I maybe missed throughout the week, et cetera. Now, when I say this, I get questions of people being like, well, what if you get emails? Like what? So (laughs) the interesting thing is I actually only check my emails three times a day. And if something isn't actually marked as urgent in like the subject, I'm probably going to read it like the next time I check my emails. So I'll read it in the morning, not as the first thing I do when I wake up, but just the first thing I do when I work, check emails, make sure nothing urgent has come through, then middle of the day. And before I log off again, really just checking and making sure that if nothing urgent has come through, that I have addressed it. And the last thing is the way I just described my week I also only give my availability that way. So if someone wanted to book me for coaching, they can only even see my availability is like Tuesday afternoons or Thursday afternoons. Or if I have a consulting client, they're really not booking me on Tuesdays and Thursdays for meetings unless it's a huge emergency. Love that. I'm inspired. (laughs) I feel like we've tried time blocking, but... When I say I practice time blocking, it means I'm bad at it and I'm practicing it. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm practicing to get better. Well, you got to get bad to get good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a real coming with that song. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Switching gears a little bit, we need the reel from you. Is it too late to become an influencer in 2021? Not at all. There are new influencers every single day. And again, people who are just building communities, shifting behavior, perception. I think even with the virality of reels and short form video and all these things coming up, you're seeing new people build communities every single day. I would say what you have to look for is really go back to the drawing board and say, what am I actually influencing on, right? So what transformation do I want for people? What's my mission really being on this platform? And when I say the word mission, I think a lot of people go straight into like social good, like what am I doing for this world? But just really asking yourself like, what problem are you solving for people? What value are you bringing for people? What do you want for people? And I always say for people, for people, because again, for people to consume your content, it has to be about them in some way. And I'm not the type of person that says like, just do things for others and for the likes, but you really want to make sure you're meeting people halfway and making people feel seen and heard. But it starts with asking yourself, what the heck am I making them feel seen and heard on? And if you can start there and do all the strategic things of like change your bio to reflect that, make sure you have a content plan in place to reflect that, then you're going to start to attract community. And the more consistent you are, the faster you'll attract that community because they know they can count on you. They know the content is coming, et cetera. Hmm, that's great. I've seen you talk about defining your niche as an influencer. And can you explain why is it important to define your niche? And then also, is this as simple as saying, you know, my niche is fashion? Like how granular do you need to be there? 
I love hate the word niche because from a marketing perspective, like, you know, we hear it all the time, but then from a personal brand perspective, which is what a lot of influencers are, they get so stuck. They put themselves in a category. Like you said, they'll say, I am a fashion blogger. Yes, but what are you actually doing with fashion or what about fashion am I getting if I visited your page? And that's what people miss out on. And it's not to say if you're more specific and more successful, but I need you to just more clearly define what you're actually doing within that category. And what I find that actually helps people is not just adding almost like an adjective, right? Like I am an affordable fashion blogger. No, it is actually (laughs) going back and asking yourself, me as a person, as a multidimensional human being, what are the things that make up the things that I'm passionate about, the things I'm an expert in by life experience or by profession, and the things that are part of my story, my personal story, so that I can build a mission around this. So for example, I will always ask people who are in the fashion space, why are you even interested in fashion? And I'll get common answers like, I used to be really shy and it kind of helped me find my confidence again. I'm like, so would you say that you're still getting dressed on social to help others find their confidence again? And that to me is now more interesting. Me, if I'm looking for fashion tips, I'm looking for fashion tips, but I'm also someone who's kind of shy. I find that person, I'm going to connect hard versus if I just find a random fashion blogger, I don't really know if I'm going to connect with them. So you have to really ask yourself like the passion, the expertise and the personal story to figure out what's a niche that's as multidimensional as me as a person. That's so great because it's way more liberating that way. You're not like, I have to stick to this one lane of content forever and for always because I've committed to that. But you're so right. We're also multifaceted and have lots of interest. And I love that you mentioned even connecting your story. I think that's super important too. Yeah. And also it gives room to evolve. Mm-hmm. A lot of us may want to pivot at some point. And I anecdotally use myself as an example. At one point, I think from an outsider's perspective, you'd say, so was she like a fashion blogger, a travel blogger? Because I liked outfits and I liked traveling. But at the end of the day, I really always talked about like finding freedom in my career. That was kind of a big thread. And when I talk about travel, it was really about the fact that I could have a career that lets me travel. Or if I talk about fashion, it was like a creative expression. So finding that little center was very important into the evolution of where I am today so that it didn't feel like a hard pivot. That's great. Follow-up question to this conversation is, I feel like everyone wants to know how to grow their following. And I think we've kind of touched on this theme slightly, but I wonder if you could address it directly. How can people grow? And we can just, I know every platform is different, but maybe we can Mm -hmm. just talk about Instagram for now. I've actually heard some people say that it's harder now to grow on Instagram than it ever has been before. So I'm wondering if you could just address that. I would challenge that and say it's easier now than it was a few years ago. It's almost like a bell curve and we're kind of at the peak again because with the invention, in air quotes, invention of reels, (laughs) it's giving you more opportunities for discoverability. And what I think is the formula for more followers is making shareable and searchable content, because that's the stuff that's going to reach new people. And sadly, and I say sadly, because I don't like contributing to social media burnout, more frequency will help you with more followers. But the thing with short form video is that it's a new type of content that doesn't take as much legwork as creating a 10 minute video on YouTube, as creating a beautiful photo for the feed, the way that they used to be created. Short form video has made it so you can actually make content more frequently because it's easier to make. 
over time, right? Again, when we practice and we kind of get there. So making that shareable and searchable content is really what's going to help you. And with short form video, it's going to happen faster than it did before. Wealth of knowledge. I think (laughs) that kind of sets us up well for this next question. Also, because you mentioned like you don't like contributing to creative burnout. And that's kind of what I want to get at here. Starting with the question, can you work in social media and still love social media? I think yes, but you have to set really strict boundaries. And I think boundaries are so much easier said than done. I'm sure we all practice them every day. And then, you know, we may be not so good at them. But the thing with social media work, but then also just wanting to be on social media is you have to start to structure your time in a way where you recognize when am I using social media as a job function? And when am I using it to just explore? right? Or where are the spaces I find myself exploring? Like I actually don't really use Instagram as a consumer because I find that I don't really get a lot of entertaining content, but I'll go to TikTok and I'm just exploring, having fun, not really thinking about work. So you have to actually structure yourself in that way. But I think what you have to also be careful about is that when I say also like frequency will lead to faster growth, it's because the more frequent posts you have, the more likely one of them is going to go viral. And I think a lot of times we get stuck in that thinking and we're like, must create more for the chance to go viral. When it's (laughs) like, always keep quality over quantity because you don't want to go viral over something that's super random. And now Mm -hmm. you've just completely have, you have a mod podge of people following you. So you definitely want to make sure you set boundaries and then keep quality over quantity no matter what. Yeah. I know there's a lot of answers to this one probably, but how do you personally avoid creative burnout? Oh, love this one. I disconnect as often as I can. And it's kind of the antithesis of social media. Just get off social media. But what it does for me is I realize I'm burning out when I am over consuming. It's just the reality of just getting so much information that you can't possibly create something because you have so many ideas in your head that they overwhelm you and they burn you out. It's like when you're driving a car, you're going too fast, you're too many turns, you're going to burn out the car. And me, someone who doesn't know anything about cars. But (laughs) the other thing is too, when you're on social media, because of the way the algorithms work on any platform, you're probably also getting served the competition. You're getting served people who are doing things in your similar space. And that can also be something that burns you out because you start to ask yourself, am I good enough? Do I need to be doing that? Do I need to hop on that trend? And you start thinking. So I like to disconnect as much as possible. I know a lot of people who do no social media on the weekends. I like to pick one day out of the week where I literally am not on social media zero. I may post a story that's like, have a great day. And that's it. But really finding that space and also to find what are the offline things I like to do. I'm someone who likes to rock climb, indoor rock climbing. I'll rollerblade. I do all these random things to just really distract myself from being online. That's awesome. I w- wouldn't have expected rock climbing, but it's, I know. <laughs> it's probably therapeutic. I could see it. We've recently started getting into tennis. like, And now I see tennis posts everywhere. Yeah. It feels oh so gosh. late for us to get into tennis, but I'm just in my head, I have this unrealistic expectation that I'm going to be at Wimbledon someday or something like that. Hey, <laughs> manifest it. Yeah. I'm going for it for real. <laughs> Maybe the other side of the coin of the burnout question is also it's around mental health. And I don't think it's the same answer because I feel like to your point about avoiding burnout and the best way being to disconnect, I think mental health maybe relates to when you're connected, you know, when you are consuming or when you are producing content. And there's a myriad of things that can affect your mental health, whether it's comparison or criticism or anything like that. How do you protect your mental health when you are connected 
and producing content and interacting with people online? To be honest, it's a lot of work still offline that then I bring in and I translate online. So for example, I mean, I'm a huge believer in therapy, whatever you need, mindset, coaching, work like that, to give you the tools, almost like the mental health recovery tools for when these things happen. And one example is I worked with someone, I'll shout her out, wholehearted being, who's someone who is a mindset coach and does spiritual work. And I remember I used to get so frustrated by just random things I was seeing on social media, roll my eyes or just like put me in a bad mood or give me a lot of anxiety. And she would challenge me to always say, let's find the trigger. So I would actually have to sit down and think about what did that post that I saw really trigger me on and go as deep as possible to then realize it was probably a reaction for something that's not even related to that human being. Or a troll came and commented something and I usually just kind of laugh it off. But this one made me really upset. What did it actually trigger? And that offline work kind of building my mental health toolkit really helps to figure these things out so that I can keep going. And again, protecting my mental health and not to say it didn't just take a little ding, but at least Mm -hmm. I feel like I can recover faster and that I am not permanently damaged by something that happened on social media. I've seen you talk before on social media about how you don't share everything on social media. And I'm wondering if that's obviously it's strategic, like you share a lot of yourself and a lot of your POV and a lot of like who you are as a person, but you don't share everything. Can you talk to us about how and why you've set that boundary up? Yeah, because I also want to again, have spaces to disconnect and feel like it's for me and just for me. And there's even content that I've created that is literally just for me because I love photography and I want to make it and I may never share it. And also respecting the people around me's privacy. So for example, my family is someone who isn't really on social media, doesn't like being shown on social media. So I don't really feel the need to kind of talk about them or even like address that part at all. Or there may be things in my day that in some way I feel like are important for me to just keep to myself. And even things like spiritual work is something that I I do a lot, like energy healing and things like that. I could talk about this for days. I could have a whole Instagram account created for it with how much I've been doing, but I don't because it's just for me. It's something that I love. And I love having that disconnect and saying, this is something that no one else knows but me. Mm -hmm. Love that. Our show is called Waves, and because of that, we like to give every guest the opportunity to spotlight someone, a person or a brand that is currently making waves online. So are there any that come to mind for you? Oh, yeah. So Z-Way, I don't know if you follow her, but had this amazing Instagram live show that she started. I believe it might have like picked up during quarantine. That's when I first started watching where she would interview celebrities and it was super fun. And what's amazing is that all this content started to get so much attention. And she's someone who is a writer in the comedy space. Then now she has her own show on Showtime. And I think she's someone who is just like the epitome of content creator turned offline creator, but still like balances both worlds so well. She's someone who is so culturally on point on everything that's going on. And I just think she's so fun to watch. And for me, any creator that can transcend that influence offline as well in a creative way is something that I want to look for. Yeah, she seems so dope. And I love that she has like full on sets for her content. It's so cool. Exactly. And it's just crazy. Yeah, does the most. And I feel like she's saying what we're all thinking, but also the fact that 
it's like these little Instagram lives, these little boxes became a whole production set on Showtime is insane to me. Amazing. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. We are so happy that you've come and shared your knowledge. A last and final question for you today. How can listeners connect with you? Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. I actually feel like you all had such great questions. And (laughs) yeah, I always think of, this is so random, but hot ones. He asked the best questions and I feel like you were at that level of yeah. Oh my you, gosh. That is Sean the ultimate levels. compliment. We have seen like every episode of Hot Ones and we <laughs> like have such admiration for him. So thank you. Like, so well researched. Okay. But how people can find me, I'm at Lisette Calv. That's my name on Instagram. We also have a page Influence with Impact, which is specific for influencer resources. And I'm also on TikTok and all the other places. That's the best way to connect with me. Love it. Thank you so much, Lisette. This was amazing. And we appreciate you so much. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.